to another edition of Fangraphs Audio. I am Karsten Sestouli. On this particular edition of the pod, we offer you a very special guest, Mr. Chris Liss of Rotowire. Liss is the managing editor of Rotowire, and he appears in the pod today to discuss an article he's written at Rotosynthesis, the blog that Rotowire runs. The post, entitled Lost in Translation, Why Your Projections and Dollar Values Won't Save You, is a response that Liss has to a group of Wall Street types with whom he's currently engaged in fantasy battle. While the Wall Street types claim that they've come up with a razor-sharp method for projecting players and their respective fantasy values, Liss argues that whoever knows the player pool best and has the best instincts, i.e. knows the facts and how to interpret them on the fly, should be the favorite. In this interview, we use the article as a jumping-off point for discussion about fantasy strategy, the fantasy industry, and other similar considerations. Please stay tuned, won't you, for this interview with Chris Liss of Rotowire, right now on Fangraphs Audio. Welcome to another edition of Fangraphs Audio, and this is indeed a special a special edition of Fangraphs Audio. Uh, my guest today is the manager, uh, sorry, the managing editor of Rotowire. His name is Chris Liss, and the reason we have him on is to discuss uh, an interesting article he's written over at Rotosynthesis, which is the blog over there. Uh, before we get to that, let's let's uh, say hi to Chris Liss. Chris, how are you doing today? Not bad, Carson. Good. Uh, joining us from sunny California? Yeah, it's uh, it's a little hazy, but yeah, I'd say it's mostly sunny. Venice Beach. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, uh, that doesn't sound too bad. Uh, uh, now, listen, the article I wanted to, to talk about here, it's called Lost in Translation. It's over at rotosynthesis.com, which is the sort of uh, free-for-all blog that uh, that you guys over at Rotowire run. Um, the article is called Lost in Translation, Why Your Projections and Dollar Values Won't Save You. Now, I, I, I'd like to start with the line that just got me so excited about it, or sort of the uh, thought experiment that got me so excited about it. We'll use that as an entry point. We could talk about the larger idea afterwards. The thing that you were discussing here, and, you, and you're sort of talking about going into an auction, um, and of course, I, uh, you're invited to correct me when, uh, when I'm wrong. Um, you're going to an auction, and uh, the value of using projections as you do so, the uh, the line that you use that's exciting to me, because you say you don't like to do that as much. You, you like to trust your instincts. And the, the analogy you make is that to say that um, is to compare it to speaking a foreign language. You say you don't need a, uh, a translation machine uh, because you sort of, uh, you like to make, um, I guess, the the valuation of players your native language. Someone tells you they can translate French to English, um, you say, fine, but I already know French. That's essentially the, the metaphor you're making, and uh, I've obviously butchered it. So let me let me hand it over to you. First of all, um, how long have you been uh, ruminating on that particular analogy, or you know, what is its genesis? And then if you want, uh, bring us out to, to the impetus for the article in general. Well, I don't know specifically if it, if I'd thought of it at the moment I was writing this. I've basically been in a debate with these Wall Street and poker guys. One of the poker guys has actually got a World Series bracelet. They're pretty good players. Uh, and I think they make a lot of money on Wall Street building models and doing things. So they, their thesis when they kind of approached us was like, hey, let's do a high-stakes league and we'll subsidize some of your entry fee because uh, fantasy guys don't make as much money as Wall Street guys. <laughs> and and uh, Sorry, this is the Card Runners Fantasy Baseball League? Is that it? The Card Runners Fantasy Baseball League. And yeah, so... Okay. So I thought that's a great idea. You know, I feel if you're going to pay half my entry fee and it's, there's a big prize, uh, sure. You know, I think I can. You know, I think I'm the favorite or one of them at least. 
uh, and they think they're getting their money in good against us because they can build these models and these projections. So there's a blog that we have. We've been going back and forth debating whether their method of creating projections and being very good. Their, their theory is that they're very good at finding out exactly what a stolen base is worth, what an RBI is worth, what a save is worth, what a win is worth. And therefore, whatever projections they have, you know, they may be not quite as good as mine, and they didn't even realize I didn't do projections, that they can translate theirs very accurately into dollar values. And that we're going to make some kind of error, you know, not knowing exactly what a stolen base is worth in the context of the league. And so that's going to be their edge, is that they have a better translation method. Uh, well, first of all, I don't even do projections, okay? I don't even write down dollar values. I just have a cheat sheet, basically. I just do a lot of research on the players. I mean, tedious, exhaustive research about them. You know as much as I possibly can about their context and their histories and what they've done. Even players that, that we know about. I mean, I'll look up Andy Pettit and re-look at him again. You know, even though I know who he is, I want to look at him like I don't know who he is and just look at the data again and not have these conclusions in my mind that may have been some past impression of Andy Pettit. And so I feel very prepared. I write their, these guys down, sort of a loose cheat sheet. It I don't necessarily pay more for the guy above. It's, I know it's not perfectly ordered. It's just to give me an idea of who's left in the pool as the draft goes on and cross guys out. Um, but, but the point is that, you know, they, they, so they were arguing that they have an edge, and I was arguing they don't really have an edge in that because that presumes, A, that I've, you know, narrowed my, you know, narrowed myself down to specific, you know, projections, which I then have to change to dollar values. And they were arguing, well, no, you must do that. You must be projecting and changing to dollar values. And I said, no, I must not. And so the analogy I made was, you know, if I, I know a little bit of French, and so, right, if somebody says something to me in French that I can kind of understand, the first thing I do is I translate it into English. And once I feel like, you know, I got it in English, then I kind of know and I can respond in English, okay? But, you know, so, so I feel like they're like, well, our translation system is better than yours, so they could maybe translate the French really accurately into English. But I'm saying, well, what if I was just bilingual and I spoke both languages? I wouldn't need to translate first things. I would just understand what it meant. I would understand the meaning of the words. I wouldn't have to go French to English one-to-one, which I think is what they're doing with their projections into their dollar values. I just know when the guy's name comes up and there's other guys who have gone for certain prices, that, you know what, this is, if, if you know, if, if player X is a $14 player, then I'm saying 15 on this guy. So so and, if, I'm, if, I'm tra- if I'm sort of understanding this correctly, essentially what you're doing is you're putting some faith in the complex organ that is the human brain to understand yeah. the auction as it unfolds. That's right, and I, I wrote other blog posts to that effect that like your brain is a sort of a it, yeah it, it's you know analytical thought where you you know a model is what it's just an analytical tool you know it's just like analysis and then you can use a tool to help you sort of you know amp up your analysis it just it's more powerful if you were doing chess you're trying to play chess then a model is really good because. You can now look 50 moves into advance and 500 moves, in, you know, instead of three moves in advance, which you can do in your brain. So it's just an analytic tool. But this is not really analysis so much. It's kind of like synthesis, right? What we're doing is we're taking a whole bunch of disparate variables about players and we're synthesizing it into a single decision. Do I, do I pass or do I bid at a certain dollar value? So it's a synthetic, you know, you're synthesizing it. Analysis is the opposite where you have a hole and you chop it into its component parts to understand it better. If I want to look at a, whether a player got lucky at the end of the season, I'll use analysis. I'll chop down his season into, you know, what was, you know, what was bad, what was, what was his bad hip, you know, how, how unlucky or lucky he was. But if I'm going forward predicting the future, uh, I'm going to have to synthesize these variables. And so my brain, by training it, by giving it lots of inputs and lots of information and constantly grading, giving the output feedback, how well did I do? Was I right about this guy? Was I wrong? I turned it into a player evaluation machine. Yeah, you know, it's actually interesting what you're saying. Uh, it kind of reminds me of a book, a, a pretty good book about a, a, about basketball. Uh, I don't know if you've read or if you're familiar with Jack McCallum's book, Seven Seconds or Less, which is sort of his season with the Phoenix Suns. 
Um, it's a pretty nice, I don't know if it's an expose, but I like this sort of uh, genre of book, which is a season with type of type of book. And the, one of the things he discusses is, um, you know, I think he's talking with Alvin Gentry and then Mike D'Antoni, of course, was the head coach there, about how much information to give players and how to go about doing it. And I think that their basic idea was, um, you know, use the off days and, uh, you know, uh, maybe off season to talk about analysis, uh, to talk about the way to attack things. But especially just before a game and definitely during a game, uh, that's not the time to do it. That's the time when you hope that the player has synthesized this analysis sort of into the, I guess, you know, in, in this case, his organ is his entire body, um, and to just, you know, use that, uh, he uses instincts to respond. And I'm, it's sort of interesting to sort of take that same approach to the fantasy realm. Do you see yourself sort of as doing that? And do you think it's a trait that other, um, I guess, that other good fantasy owners uh, uh, will use as well? Yeah, I think, yes, I do. I, I think, you know, your brain is, is part of nature. You know, don't forget that. You know, it's it's not, you control, you know, you might control sort of the conscious analytical part of it that where you can sort of, you know, go through a math problem or something like like that, or go step by step in an analytical fashion. But that's only that's only one of its functions. You know, I mean, if you're going to paint something or write a book, I mean, it's not. It's it has many different functions. It doesn't just function in that one way. So I, I do think that if you if you just you know give it the inputs it needs, and then also give it the feedback and be rigorous. Don't just pat yourself on the back because you got a player right, but also realize you know when you've made a mistake and consider why you made the mistake, whether it was bad luck or you screwed up somewhere and where it was, and give it that new new input for the next time around. Uh, I do think you can use it. I mean, you know, look at a plant. A plant takes in sunlight and minerals and water and carbon dioxide, and it spits out, you know, oxygen and, and food. You know, and it's a machine. It's it's an organic machine. I mean, your brain has, this, you know, it's also part of nature. And so it, it's, it shouldn't be surprising that we can, you know, come up with these creative outputs in a way, you know, given all these, you know, variable inputs. And I, and I think people get really stuck on, you know, I need to figure this out in this analytical way. Like, that's the only tool we have. And you see a lot of people look back and they say, well, his strikeout rate was, you know, his K to nine was really good, so I'm going to get strikeouts from this guy. I'm going to get, and it's like, well, sometimes the guy's K to nine jumps. You know, it's not, not everything is just simply because it was, you know, because it happened before, it's going to happen again. And really, the key to winning the game is to, is to sort of be ahead of the curve on growth or regression. I mean, that's it, right? I mean, it's a, everyone knows that, like, if players get toward 27, they get better hitters, and pitchers get toward 30, sometimes they get a little bit better and they peak as pitchers. But it's not linear, it's not obvious, and sometimes guys, instead of growing a little bit, they grow a lot. And I think that's where the money is made in fantasy baseball. Now listen, the thing that really impressed me about the article, and, and I said as much to you in an email, was I guess the sort of, the, the, the sort of serious thought you had exhibited uh, in going about this particular problem. Now, uh, you didn't if think I, I was capable, in other no, words. No, 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 <laughs> no, that's not it at all. No, but I, but I was actually grateful for the sort of uh, service you provided me, even though uh, you weren't aware of it. But um, if I could get autobiographical momentarily, the last year um, I've spent uh, more and more time thinking about uh, baseball seriously and I guess, you know, fantasy sports seriously. And, and uh, you and uh, Jeff Erickson and those guys over there have allowed me to contribute to Rotowire a little bit, as well as uh, Dave Alpman and Dave Cameron here over at Fangraphs. And... I don't know if it's a crisis of, of uh, self or thought, but uh, you know, having come from a more academic world, um, I guess one of the, the nagging things I always have is, is uh, that I'm curious about is whether the work that I'm doing now is truly serious, right? And this is not uh, unique to me. Uh, this is something that you know I think probably all people deal with. You know, am I really contributing? 
After reading your article, though, especially the the analogy you made to language acquisition, translation, um, I was like, I was elated, right? And um, and I was going out, and I was really excited about the sort of serious thinking that could be done about fantasy sports, maybe um, you know, uh, sport in general, and the, the way the sort of you'd, you'd open my eyes to it. And I sent you an email to that effect, and you re- you responded with another um, surprising and exciting email, which is which is what you said. Uh, the message you, you gave me was. Uh, you know, in some ways that, that you you know you have a you have considered this, and I'd like to hear you talk about the ways you've considered you know dedicating so much of your life because you seem uh, uh, like an unusually intelligent person. And B, you said it's it's like a good documentary film. Um, it's about you know at its best, it's not just about its subject; it's about everything. So I was wondering if you comment on both those. First of all, the degree to which it could cause some anxiety uh, being a serious-minded person thinking about fantasy sports, and secondly. Fantasy sports at its best, how it can be about everything. Yeah, I think you give me some extra credit that people would uh, have a laugh at that I was a serious-minded person. Uh-huh. But, no, I do think about things, if you mean it in that sense. And I do question, ask the same question that you do, which is, all right, I would like to make a decent living doing this and, and be comfortable, but, you know, what else am I on the planet for? You know, I mean, it, uh, I'm not strictly, you know, here to just accumulate some money or you know, get by or something. It's you know, there should be some some purpose that I'm achieving in, in some relevant way that seems meaningful to me at least. And so the question is obviously one that you, one should ask of oneself, no matter what they're doing, even if they're doing something that is supposedly important, but maybe it's not. Uh, you know, and and you know, it's obviously I you know, I'm not in the Middle East like helping out the peace process or something like that. But uh, but I do think that um, at least you can try to think about these things, you know, how they relate to everything. And, and, and so the documentary example, it's like a documentary might be about some, you know, random homeless person or about some weird subculture of people who get tattoos on their ankle or, you know, whatever. But it's really, if it's a good documentary, you see how it's about everything. It's about their community. It's about how they connect. It's about life. And so I think, you know, fantasy sports, you know, obviously there's, you know, there's, 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 there's the communal and the aspect of it. And I, and I think that's important to build a good community where people are you know, interested in something and studying something really seriously and really trying to understand something. I think there's the fact that, you know, baseball players like the stock market, like the weather, like any ecosystem, it's basically an ecosystem. It's an artificial one. We've set the rules, but they, it develops as it develops. I mean, sometimes, you know, now in the ecosystem, there's players who are, you know, defense, you know, now, you know, the A's have all these defensive players. It used to be these big softball sluggers who walked and got on base, and now defense is important. So the ecosystem evolves, and then there's adaptations of other parts of the ecosystem that adapt to, to meet it. Um, and so I think studying this, um, you, you can kind of, you know, really learn how something works and, and understand how your brain works. So the discussion that we're just having about language and stuff, I think, you know, it, it can be about everything. It can be how to think about things. You know, one of the things that I always say is the, the reason that I've sometimes done well in leagues is because I am open to possibilities, you know, not just the, the likely ones, but the unlikely ones as well. Uh, and I don't want to jinx him. But I drafted Alex Gonzalez in a few leagues this year uh, for a buck, and I just thought, you know, this guy was a 20 homer at his peak type of guy. He's not that old. Uh, he's just been banged up for a number of years, and he's a starter in Toronto. Why can't he hit 15 to 20 homers as a shortstop for a buck in an AL league? And that's a good value. And so far, he's got five. I didn't expect this it's so quickly. And I, knock on wood, I hope I didn't just jinx him, and this is the last one he ever hits. But um, I think that you need to be open to unlikely possibilities as well as likely ones to do well, because you know it's just it's just about um, you know, being sort of ahead of the curve. And so when you're open to a possibility, even if you don't think it's going to happen, but you just are, you know, most people, they look at Andrew Jones. I got into a debate on the blog, and one of, the, one of my colleagues said, oh, Andrew, how can you like Andrew Jones? He's terrible. He's, he can't hit more than 200. And, you know, I said, well, he could hit 30 homers if he got the at-bats and maybe hits 250. 
you know, and, and that's, so it's just being open to that. It's not, doesn't mean it's going to happen. You think it's going to happen, but because you're open to it, then when it starts to happen, you're already on that player. You know, you're already ahead of the curve. And, uh, I think, you know, maybe in life, that's a good policy too, is, is not just being really narrow about who's good and who's not. And you know, everything and everything's set. I think it's good to just hold things a little more loosely. So, you know, just things like that, I think are about everything in, in a way. Um, and there's probably more examples and, and, yeah, so hopefully it has some meaning and it has some relevance beyond just winning the league, which is also, you know, a lot of fun, too. Yeah, yeah, crushing your opponent. Uh, of course, there's no joy quite yeah. like that. Um, you know, I'm sort destroying of curious. Destroying his very soul. I mean, destroying his <laughs> spirit. I mean, it's not just winning the league. It's destroying his will to go on. I mean, you want, I want to, if I play somebody, you know, I don't, I don't want them just to, you know, hand over the money. I want them to, like, seriously question their value as a human being and maybe get out of the industry or get out of the field you know, maybe consider you know getting sort of sort of species change operation, where maybe human is not even the, the correct uh, species for them. You know what I mean? That's that's the goal that I have. I don't know about you. Yeah, I had never thought of it to that extent. I, I do like embarrassing people, uh, of course, because I spend so much time simply being embarrassed by being me and having to walk around in public. So I figure someone else has to feel that pain. It's a little bit like um, Phantom of the Opera. I don't know exactly how, but. I, uh, I have a terrific singing voice. Is the one connection I see immediately. Let me let me ask you a question. Something that, you have that I do not have. <laughs> let me ask you a question because, well, first of all, um, I'm curious. I get the the main question here is is how have you seen the industry change? Is that's going to be the broader question? Uh, specifically, the things I want to know is how long have you been with RotoWire? Because that's a question I've never asked you, and uh, our our audience may not know that. Um, and you know, like how how long has even a place like RotoWire been around? How long has it has there been a place in the market for it? And then, of course, the broader question: How have things changed in the market since you've sort of been monitoring it closely? Well, I mean, there's there's no RotoWire without the internet, and the internet nobody started getting online really in mass until about 1996, 1997. And I started writing for Roto News, which was uh, Peter, Jeff, and Herb started in 97, 98, maybe. Uh, I started writing for them in 99, and then they were bought out by this company called Broadband Sports that was in L.A. They were in Chicago. So they moved out here to sell their company, and they got totally ripped off. Um, and uh, they were just kind of green in the business sense. They were young, and they didn't really you know, know what was what meant. There was a lot of stuff that was back-ended. And uh, so Broadband Sports is in L.A., though, and uh, they needed somebody, so they hired me, full-time. I was already doing freelance stuff for them uh, much as you are, like in, in you know, remotely, and uh, that was in 1999. So I, in 2000, I was working for Broadband and working for Roto News, under which was owned by Broadband. And when Broadband, which was known as Fraudband, to anybody who did business with them, went out of business, predictably, uh, in early 2001, uh, the three of them, me and Tim Schuler, who you've also talked to, uh, the five of us started RotoWire in 2001, and so we've been there ever since. Um, so that's the history of the company. Uh, the history of the, the industry, well, you know, I was a full-time person in the industry uh, as of 2000, so some of the guys predate me, but I was in Vegas in 2001 for an FSTA convention. That was the first time I had really kind of seen everybody else in the industry. You Can know, you say, uh, what is FFTA? Can you say that? It's the Fantasy Sports Trade Association, and now it's like morphed into something else kind of. I think it still exists. I don't know. I don't. There's some politics going on that I don't know much about. I don't even care about. But... I was there in 2001, and it was basically like a Star Trek convention. It was like serious, hardcore nerds, okay? And now, you're, now you're talking my language. Okay, there we go. Okay, <laughs> so you might have been comfortable in that situation, but it was serious, hardcore nerds. Uh, it was friendly, you know, it was, 
it was busy. You know, people were doing business and doing deals, but that's what it was. By now, it's way more corporate. You know, I mean, everyone's getting a suit on, and ESPN's there, and Yahoo Sports is there, and, and you know, NBC is there, and Turner Sports. I mean, it's it's just much more corporate, much more. You know, it's a multi-billion-dollar industry, um, and it's just you know, there's a whole bunch of different players there. You'll have some athletes there. It's just way more um, mature as an industry at this point. So, um, at its core, I think you know the we're all nerds to the extent that we like to, you know, follow our baseball players and collect our baseball cards. And we're into, you know, I mean, I think that still is there. And even in the guys who go into these corporate jobs, but at least on its face, it, you know, it's, it looks a lot more corporate, a lot more um, sort of like any other industry in some ways. Is there, um, so is there a uh, tomorrow? I mean, or what is the tomorrow, I guess, for fantasy sports? You know, it's not something that's been around, especially like you said, uh, hosted by the internet uh, for all that long. So you know, it's like uh, none of our grandfathers, for example, uh, you know, grew up and, and made their made their living in the fantasy sports uh, world. Uh, but I assume that because of how many people play it, which is a lot, um, that that is part of its future. So I mean, like, how do you see how do you see it developing, and how, you know, how do you see your part in it, and and you know, uh, I guess you know, future generations of fantasy players and writers. Well, I think 500 years from now, I'm going to be extremely well known uh, for my role in the fantasy industry. No, I, I really have no idea. I mean, you know, I, it, it's really, uh, you know, we don't know. We're just doing it, and we've adapted. You know, I mean, we're, our site is way better than it used to be. You know, we've added tons of stuff. We have the, the Sirius XM show, which we should get you on, Carson, one of these days. Uh, you mean, uh, so we're doing I could do some freestyle rapping? Because that's yeah, really you're, my... You're welcome to. It's really, well, it's... You know, as long as you have some good rhymes, I, it's fine. You I know, got the uh, fat know. rhymes. Are they're pretty fat? Okay, if they're if they're fat, we'll we'll get you. On. We had I shouldn't say this. I'm about to say something. I can get in trouble for, so I'm not going to say it. <laughs> uh, we had a guest that was doing a little freestyling himself. That it was not our choice of guest, and uh, it was bad. Uh, but anyway, so uh, but but the point is that um, that I don't know where it's going, and. Uh, we try to stay ahead of the curve. You know, we have an iPhone app, for instance. We've been trying to develop stuff like that to sort of see where the industry is going. Uh, nobody really knows. I don't, you know, the, 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 you know, Google is trying to get their ads, you know, in, in a mobile platform. They have the Android phone. I mean, I don't think they know. I don't think even the big companies that, you know, that everybody uses for technology know exactly how we're going to be accessing this information in the future exactly. So, you know, we're just trying to adapt, and uh, and it's been a good ride, and hopefully it grows and uh, at some point maybe it will stop growing and you know it, you know who knows and it also there, you know there's other things that one can do with one's life I suppose uh, it's hard to it's hard did to you say with one's life or one's wife because I'm uh... well, well <laughs> other things one can do with one's wife if you're having a problem that you need to uh, you know there's there's many things one can do <laughs> but uh, I know people that can help you yeah but uh <laughs> But what I'm saying is with one's life, you know, so so I don't know. But but I, I guess yeah, I'm not I'm not extremely helpful. I'm not really visionary in terms of how I, where the industry is going to be in five years. I I really can't say. Okay, well that's fine. And yeah, I wanted to go. Uh, and this will be the last question. But I am sort of curious. Uh, it's easy. Well, I don't want to say it's easy, but you know, uh, you know, by dint of um, you know uh, observation and also by statistics. We have a pretty good idea of what a good baseball player looks like, a good, you know, and a, and a not so good baseball player looks like. Um, I'm curious, though, and you know, we've we've sort of touched on this with regard to the Card Runners League. I'm curious if you have sort of a portrait of what a good fantasy owner looks like, and not just that, if you can sort of name some people who you consider like legitimately talented 
fantasy owners? Is it a skill, or is it something that um, maybe is you know a little bit more nebulous than that? Uh, it's a skill. Uh, you know, I, I think it has to do with you know having a good sense. You know, having having really absorbed a lot of information and been really honest with yourself about where you've been right and wrong and building up your brain is that kind of machine that, that really is good at now spotting this stuff, you know, that spotting that player, looking at what indicators. To me, I, it's, things are in combination, right? I don't just look at strikeout rate. I don't like Rich and I do not draft him. Some people drafted him because they're like, oh, his strikeout rate was better than Lincecum's. Well, yeah, that's just one piece of the puzzle, you know. There's a lot of other pieces of the puzzle, and they, and it, and they have varying weight depending on the player. I mean, with Todd Helton going into last year, it was just he was healthy. You know, that was the only piece that really mattered. Uh, he had back problems for two years. So all the other stuff that people look at, like his stats from 2008, it didn't really matter. So it, it's it's about looking at these factors in combination and the way you get good at looking at these factors in combination and ascribing, you know, as best you can, the right weight to the right factor, which is impo- that's why it's impossible to do good projections because it's impossible to translate all the information properly into a number. I mean, it's much easier to just have a good sense of that player when, the, when, when his name comes up. You kind of know when to bid, at least for me. So it's guys who I think are really kind of, honest and, and, and really observant about the facts. And I think, you know, a guy, Jonah Carey, who's a friend of mine, uh, he's a very good guy. He's very a friend smart, of the pod right? as well. Oh, oh is he? Okay. Oh, he's been well, on, yeah. Okay, well, he's a very good fantasy player uh, because he's pretty objective. He will, he, he very knows a lot of facts, and he will process the facts, and he will not be too biased, and I think he's honest with himself when he screws up, when he makes a mistake, you know. So I think that... Um, you know, he's got that quality. I think Jason Gray of ESPN is a very, very good player. Um, always an AL labor. You know, I hate when he gets a player for cheap and nobody price enforces because uh, I know that he's going to be tough. Um, so those are two of them that are very good. But but that's, you know, but I, I think it's those qualities. I, I don't, you know, uh, Lar Michaels is kind of the Zen master of, of, of this, and he sometimes comes up with some very good teams. He's What's good about him is he doesn't really care what anyone else thinks. He doesn't care what the consensus is, and I think that's a strong quality uh, and that w- one that one should cultivate. Who cares what other people think? I mean, just you know, I like to make my cheat sheet. One of the advantages I have for baseball is that I don't, I'm not, I don't do our projections. I'm not responsible for it. I don't read anybody else's stuff, so I can just come up with my own list. I don't, I'm not, you know. Sometimes in labor, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I got that guy that cheap because I didn't know what his market was, and I prefer it that way. So I don't get, you know, it's like a gravitational pull. Once there's a consensus formed, you feel this pull, like, oh wait, how can I project this guy so out of line with whatever everyone else thinks? Am I making some kind of mistake? Better just not to know. Now, listen, uh, I will will ask one last thing. The listeners to the uh, Fangraphs audio podcast, uh, the readers of Fangraphs, will know that my cause celeb for the year is Colby Lewis. Uh, I've been talking about Colby Lewis, you know, probably since... I despise uh, Colby Lewis. <laughs> I want you to know that. Since January. I am curious uh, as to how, how you had Colby Lewis, where you had him coming into your drafts, and, uh, and uh, you know, I guess why you despise him. I despise him because I don't have him. I didn't. I don't own him. He wasn't really on my radar. He's just some guy who was in Japan. He was not very good in the states, and he was pitching in Texas. And there were a whole bunch of guys competing for rosters. I don't know. I just for some reason in my research, I just kind of glossed over him. I didn't really take it seriously. I just missed him kind of. And but I was talking about it on the XM show the other day. You know, if if he were a Japanese player, if he were born in Japan. Uh, he'd be like Daisuke Matsuzaka. The hype would be unbelievable, him coming over here with the numbers he had in Japan. And it's just like nobody cares because he's just some scrub who was born in the U.S. But, I mean, it's the same thing. You know, I mean, what's the difference? So uh, so I missed him. Uh, you know, I don't know how he's going to do necessarily. You know, I think Japan is like a quadruple A, right? So you can do well there. And, but so far he's got, you know, great strikeout rate. He's been having trouble getting deep into games, kind of like Daisuke, right? A lot of walks, a lot of strikeouts. 
Well, uh, or kind of like his upset. team, kind of like his teammate Rich Harden a little bit too. Well, not that bad. Rich Harden is just—it's like there's nothing's in play. I mean, it's either he strikes out everybody and walks ten guys, and it's the third inning, and he's out of the game by the third inning. I mean, right. there's three balls are in play. His Babbitt doesn't matter. Have you ever seen a pitcher whose Babbitt doesn't matter? It's Rich Harden because he only got three balls, <laughs> six hundred or three hundred. It's the difference in one base hit. Um, so, well, you—you'll—you'll you'll know. be happy to know that uh, in the—well, uh, I'm not sure if you will be happy to know, but in the uh, in the RotoWire league here, the RotoWire two uh, against some of the you know the guys who uh, who write. I think there's a uh, uh, Dave Regan's in that league, and uh, uh, Topper. Who am I saying is John Topper? Is this who I'm thinking of? Yeah, John Topper. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I drafted Colby Lewis, or sorry, I got him in the auction for three dollars, and uh, the laugh, the laughter rained down upon me. But to me, to my ears, it sounded like cheering. Uh, and uh, let me tell you, let me tell you a fact, Carson. Yeah, tell the me. The extent that people mock your pick is the extent to which it's a great pick. And the extent to which people praise your pick, it is usually a terrible pick. So Good. the worst thing somebody can do is say, oh, great pick. And you're like, thanks. And it's like, dude, that, you do not want to hear that. What you want to hear is, that's a reach. Because everybody is like programmed to say idiotic stuff when they're certain. Because of stuff that they cannot be certain. So if they make a proclamation of certainty about your pick being bad, it's almost certainly a good pick. And when I drafted Justin Upton in the seventh round last year, I got ridiculed. And obviously he was like a second round pick. Yeah, well, the good. I I feel better about the 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 ninety dollars I spent on Marlon Bird. <laughs> yeah, as well you should. As well you should. I mean, you can't take my you can't take it that extreme. You know? Well, There's listen, listen, uh, uh, listen. I I would like to to thank you very much both for uh, the uh, the thought provoking article and this thought provoking uh, pod. I'm sure that the uh, I, I think the hundreds of thousands of listeners we have uh, will will be thankful for it. So thank you very much for I'm joining sure us. Be- I'm sure it'll be millions because I'm on it this week. Uh, and uh, anytime, Carson, appreciate it. All right, thank you. This has been Chris Liss of Rotowire, and I have been Carson Destouli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.